0: Yate, Steve Pelletier, shade. My Dish, initially, Billigana, Bush's team, Keeneland, Chitney, Dasha, Billigana, Dasha, Welcome back to Res Ball. Once again, joined by Andy, a.k.a. a data-driven Piston fan. This time we talk Cade as he's dominated the Team USA practices with the select team. We also get into some trade scenarios here as well as looking forward to 2024 in the free agency class because the Pistons will have cap space. with Andy, aka Data Driven Piston Fan. Andy, before we start again, let everybody know where they can find you, please. What's
1: up guys? You can find me on Twitter at D underscore D underscore Pistons underscore Fan. We've been pretty quiet lately because there's not too much going on, except if you've been watching Kate blow things up in his games, but I'll let Steve get to
0: that. Yes, absolutely. Cade has been manhandling Team USA in practice. If you don't know what we're talking about, last week there have been a lot of clips and a lot of talk about Cade Cunningham being quite possibly the best player in the Team USA practices. If you don't know what that means, Team USA is the team that will go compete in the FIBA World Cup. They you know select the team from guys around the nba and then they go and compete but there's another team called team select the team will say select that's basically like the practice squad and it's made up of other well-known nba players normally like kind of rookies and second year players and guys like that kate cunningham happens to be one of the players on the team select and from the footage we've seen and from everybody that's commented on it, they're like, man, Kate has sliced and diced everybody up. What was your reaction to seeing this, Sandy?
1: I was excited because it confirmed what I think you and I have believed as far as who he is and the player he can be and he will be. So, But it's happy when you see, like, proof. You know, you see something. But at the same time, I'm not going to get – overly excited about it because it's a scrimmage you know it's not even full NBA games in terms of minutes but it, it it was exciting to see I don't think it changes anything for me for the season but it was good to see
0: for me it got me incredibly excited and just like oh man yeah he's going to have a fantastic season coming up look at the chemistry that him and Durin have it would be one thing if it was just like hey they put the clips out and whatever but no like you see journalists talk about it You see other NBA players talk about it. You hear the guys there in the practices talk about it. That's just the thing to me that's got me most excited is everybody, everybody, even ESPN. ESPN who hates talking about Detroit, who does not care about us. They had like four or five different tweets and things talking about, look at how good Kay Cunningham is. That's when you know like this is different than what it's been before and why, to me, it's got me so excited. The other part about it is, I've always called Cade the Maestro. Cade is the maestro. He knows how to play everybody else. He sets everybody up. He directs the orchestra. He's just fantastic in that role. And I don't know what got me down this road, but I was looking up, you know, top assists. Who had the most assists in the NBA last year? And Sam Vicini and, and James Edwards will be re- referencing this podcast throughout. They just released a podcast a few days ago. Andy and I are recording this on August 10th, 2023, where they talked about Cade Cunningham and the Detroit Pistons and, and Vicini was saying he thinks it's something like 25, six and six. So 25 points per game, six assists, six rebounds for Cade Cunningham. And I honestly think the assists in general are too low. Again, I don't know what got me down this road, but I was looking up who had the most assists in the NBA last year. And I looked at the list of guys, you know, it's your typical what you think, like Demonis Sabonis, John Morant, Chris Paul, all these dudes. Do you know who the 15th guy on that list is? That means the guy that had the 15th most assists in the NBA this past season. Who was that? I
1: did not know until you told me, but I actually wasn't too surprised cuz i don't hate him like most pistons fans do
0: it's killian hayes killian hayes had the 15th most assists in the nba last year and when i saw that i was like cade's going to be top 10 killian played 76 games last year i don't remember the amount of minutes but think about it if you put cade in that same killian role for 76 games there is no way he is not going to better that production like in a significant way to where it's like around eight assists. And so, so when I was looking at the list, who got 10th on the list was Spencer Dinwiddie. And then ninth was Chris Paul. And Chris Paul only played something like 59 games. I want to say it is, it's, it's a lot smaller. I'm like, yeah, put Cade in there. Kate is going to average around eight assists. And if you put him in that 76 type game amount, put him in that same role that Killian had, Boom. So that's that's my prediction for the year after all this and looking at all these things, I can almost guarantee you, as long as Kate is healthy, he will be top 10 and assists in the NBA as 2023 2024 season because he's so great at just setting up other teammates.
1: So I completely agree with that. And also, I think as great of a player as Kate is, he's someone who makes the players around him better and he knows how to use the players around him. And in his rookie season, he didn't have much talent around him. And I think that hinders him a lot. And this year, having weapons, having shooters, having just options, I think it's actually, I think, so I think there's going to be a lot of positives, but as we've talked about before, that doesn't do anything for our defense, which is what we need to win. Games, but for Cade and the assists, I agree
0: 100%. Yeah, again, killing Hayes, 15th in the NBA and assists last year. Think about putting Cade in that role for an entire season. There's no way he's not going to better 15th, and he'll get it the top 10. The other part of that, too, is just seeing the chemistry that him and Duran already have. That was pretty amazing to me because they haven't played together. What, they only played together the 12 games or whatever that it was for the Pistons last year when Cade was healthy. But, man, they look like they really connect already, right?
1: Yes. And it, to me, it just makes sense because even in the, the short stint that he played with Bagley two seasons ago, it looked good because Cade loves a lob threat and he knows how to use it. He's smart enough to create angles, even if he doesn't catch him on the lob for the roll. They can repost. He's just a smart basketball player. And that's why we need players that help maximize Cade, which we've talked about so many times. So yeah, I think Duran will be excellent for him.
0: Yes, yeah, absolutely. So how many wins do you see this translating into, Andy? Cade being this fantastic, what we thought, high-level player. What would you say, like, okay, we still think he's going to be great, but what does that mean for the whole team?
1: For me, it still means this team peaks out at 30 wins. For me, it doesn't really change too much because if you look at Cade, Ivy, and Durant by games played, they're second-year players. If you look at Liver, same thing, he'd be like a second year player. And then if you're looking at a uh, backup center in James Wiseman, second year like we it's an extremely young team. Asar, a rookie. So and even people we don't think he'll hit the rotation, but some people are like, "Oh, Sasser will get playing time." Rookie. Like this team is extremely young. If we fill it in with the veterans like Burks and Boyan and Harris, that's fine, we can do that but then you're sacrificing development. So I just, I don't see it translating into a lot of wins. I think the games will be so much more enjoyable. It'll be so much better to watch. I just don't see it translating into wins. Plus you still have to beat the other teams and I don't see how many other teams got worse.
0: Yeah, again, referencing the San Bassini game theory with James the III on this, their main thing, which is my main thing and one of your main things, defense they said they'll still think this Pistons team is going to be a bottom six defense I think it's going to be a bottom five defense number one they don't have a point of attack defender dude Ivey still isn't great at that you don't want Kate Cunningham to do that he's not going to be chasing around the point guard on the other end Monty Morris does not do that also even though he's a very steady presence and a good like okay team defender he's not a good point of attack defender theoretically Marcus Sasser could do that but we'll circle back to him here in a minute so they don't have anybody the Pistons do not have anybody that is really going to be the point of attack chase down point guard type of defender number two who's their top wing defender probably a saw right away he's a rookie he's going to struggle again you don't want Cade to do that you're not asking Cade to be guarding the top wings on there anybody who's the top offensive option and main hub for your offense you don't want them to be running around chasing the other top guy on defense really that stuff even if it is like LeBron or KD is reserved for the playoffs it's like we have no other choice this is what we got to rock with now so you're not asking Kay to do that again a although we like him and we know that's going to be his calling card and he will not quit he will continue to fight he's a rookie he's going to struggle it's very rare there's ever a rookie that comes in and just makes that big of a difference on defense especially as a perimeter defender that just almost never happens so to expect that like it's just not going to happen Burks isn't a good defender on the wing man to man on lol I don't know if you watched any games last year but he is not going to keep up with anybody uh, he just doesn't have the foot speed or the agility anymore on the wing uh, livers he's been a pretty good defender but he's been more of like a rotational second unit kind of power forward guy you don't want him to be asking like hey break this guy down one-on-one again Joe Harris lol he doesn't have the foot speed the athleticism to hang with anybody um, side to side or or man to man he can be an okay team defender at the best so there you don't have a point of attack defender your rookie is your best wing defender and then oh by the way your centers are still figuring it out or they just are never going to be good defenders like wiseman and bagley unfortunately they just have not shown to be good on defense wiseman in particular just he can't be out in space that you know the reference again the jabari smith game look at any of the film that there was last year and then again sam bassini and, and james edward the third have been saying well we sat all along here with duran it's like man, I mean he just wasn't a good defender last year it's going to take time and that's not to say we don't think he will be there but he's got to work on defending ball screens He just got to work on the little things on defense but right now he's not good and that's okay he's a second year player <laughs> those are three things you might need for a good defense: point of attack, wing defender, center. The Pistons don't have those, so again, thirty wins I think is being optimistic, and thirty wins is a big turnaround from seventeen to thirty. Both Vicini and James Edward III said thirty-two wins is what they're going to, what they would bet on. So to go from seventeen to thirty-two, that's almost doubling your wins. Again, that's not that's not nothing, but. Even with Cade and how great he looks, the defense on this team is really going to drag it down, I think.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to have to look it up because I don't remember because it was probably a week or two ago. But Oh, actually, I think it was uh, Jack Kelly did it, that uh, the team that finished with the worst record— On average, how much did they improve the following season? And I think on average, the worst record makes like a pretty decent jump, like 11 games or something, because I think it's really hard to be that bad. (laughs) Unless
0: Unless you were like the process sixers. There's just no way you can repeat that level of terribleness.
1: Yeah. So even if we just take the average And they go from 17 to 27. I mean, that's so saying 30. Is it like we're saying, oh, they're going to be like so much better than they were. But I think visually it's going to be a lot better to watch.
0: Yeah, especially on offense. They have the pieces to make it work to where if you want to just surround Cade with shooters, if you want to just surround Ivy with shooters, if you want to supplement the main four of Cade, Ivy, Stu, and Duran. Or if you want to even cut that down to like the main three of Cade, Ivy, and Duran, you can supplement them with Monty Morris if you wanted to run three guards. You can supplement them with an Alec Burks and with a Boyan or with an Alec Burks, Boyan, or Joe Harris, even with the, the shooting that they have. Liver still factors in there. If nothing else, he's still been a consistent shooter you could put in there. Um, I mean, this whole team, as part of the the thing that Vecini and James Edward III said is like training camp is really going to be integral for this team. You can't say for certain right now who's going to be in this rotation beyond Cade, Ivy, Durin, and Beef Stu. Everybody else there, I don't know. I don't think there's minutes for Marcus Sasser You know, right now because again, what we just laid out, if you're trying to supplement everybody else, they already have guards that seem to work better with the Monty Morris and Alec Burks. It's hard to see Sasser getting in there when he doesn't have a size advantage. And again, he's a rookie. He doesn't have the same type of point guardness that Monty Morris. I mean, Monty Morris, again, second to none in terms of being a backup point guard, never turns the ball over, or really never wastes a shot. Alec Burks, the exact kind of, you know, six, six shooting guard, again, hyper efficient, good ball handler just a microwave score off the bench. It's hard to see Sasser supplanting one of those guys. So he might be one of the ones that's not there. And then Wiseman, again, like we said before, it's hard to see him getting past a Bagley, getting past a Duran, getting to play power forward. After that, like the other 12 dudes, there's some real mix up in there. There's some real dudes there that I don't know how it's going to play out, but I think however it plays out in training camp, it's just like we're in a better position than we were before. We're in a better position to see this have a functional offense, but don't necessarily have all the pieces to have a functional defense. Yeah.
1: I And hopefully, once they determine the direction they're going or what they think is going to work best, we do trade some of these players. Cause we have some tradable players and some contracts that shouldn't be too difficult to move that. If it's like, okay, these guys probably aren't going to get much playing time, then yeah, move some players and free up the minutes because otherwise I just see some uh, wasted, wasted resources,
0: Fantastic segue, Andy, into tradable players. You're saying there are some tradable players in there, even if it is like a 32 win-ish team. Andy and I have been very vocal in saying, hey, we should just trade Boyan." And last time um, you were making the point that Burke seems to be the one that that probably gets traded if we're looking long-term of like, you know, they drafted Sasser, who's another guard. That seems to be somebody there in Burke's we're both really kind of in on Monty Morris and think he should be here for a while. Again, he's already doing a lot of work in the community. He's from Flint. It sounds like he's been wanting to be on the Pistons for a while. He's such a great backup. That's the one to me that it seems like it just makes too much sense for him to be here for like three or four seasons. It'd be really weird if they just kind of move on from him already. Um then again, like I've always loved Monty Morris, so I'm not going to sit here and say I'm unbiased. He's one of my Flint guys. Shout out Flint Town. So I just think it'd be a bad idea to trade him. Boyan or Burks, though, that just seems to be, it just seems to make too much sense for the team to trade them for something. So let's talk about Boyan and Burks. First, I want to ask you, Andy. Who do you think would return more in a trade? Not who do you want them to trade more, but who do you think would return more in a trade? Bojan Bogdanovic or Alec Burks?
1: I think Bojan would return more, but at the same time, it depends on the team because Burks' $10 million contract is, if for some of these teams who are facing luxury tax or like the super tax, like his $10 million contract, if they can get off some money but still get a player who can help them and play, that could be some value. But I think Boyan has has more value. Um, so Boyan would, would be my pick. But because Burks' contract is only $10 million, I think that makes him very movable, very easy to move. And for other teams, especially if it saves them money, I, I think he fits.
0: I don't know, though, because Boyan's deal, the way that it works is he's 20 million right now for this year. Next year is 19,000,000, 32,850. And it's only a partial guaranteed. So only 2 million of it is guaranteed. If he's on a roster past June 29th of 2024, then it becomes fully guaranteed. But if he's not on a roster, past June 29th, then they only have to pay him 2 million, which is super, super small. In today's NBA, it's really not going to be anything. It's only for that one year. So I think they both work as an expiring that might give Boyan a little bit more of an edge in terms of his value. But if that's the thing of like luxury tax, I think Boyan works about the same because then you're saving 18 million as opposed to 10 million. Even though Burks's contract comes off the books. And especially with the way the new CBA works, if you are a team into that luxury tax, you can only trade salary that matches. So if you're trying to get off a bigger contract, then hey, here's 20 million here that you can cut that guy and then save 18. I think that's another thing that, that makes Boya pretty attractive um, as well as working as like somewhat of an expiry. So I think we both agree though Bojan is the guy right? that just seems to make the most sense if you're trying to get the most value. What about like the one you would trade? If it were you, Andy, who would you trade, Bojan or Burks? Both? Neither? What would it be?
1: I would trade both of them. <laughs> and, and the thing is, it's not that I don't like the players. I like both of the players. They're both quality NBA players. They just don't fit what this team needs, in my opinion. Um, with Cade, with Ivy, if those are truly your guards of the future, you're only looking at backup minutes. And if you look at how many minutes Monty Morris has averaged the last few years, it's like 25 to 27 minutes. So unless he's getting a huge reduction, there's just not that many minutes to go around. And if you want Sasser to get any playing time at all, then, yeah, Burks has got to go. And that's not even us mentioning Killian ever seeing the court ever. So in my opinion, it's like Burks needs to go. And depending on, on how Stu is shooting the ball and how Asar looks, Boyan could be just as easy to move because Harris could play, you know, 20 minutes a night and be completely happy where Boyan has averaged like 30 minutes for like the last five years. And I don't see him coming off the bench for us. So get that thought out of your mind. So that's just, that's just where I am.
0: Yeah. I think in an ideal world, both of them go out, but again, like what would be the deal? Can you think of anything? Cause that's 30 million. That's 30 million right there between the two of them.
1: So I can't think of, but the deal that I would actually think of, and it's weird because I think it got mentioned on the same podcast that we listened to earlier today with Sam Vecini, where they were like, I think Chris Paul will be gone from Golden State. And so will Kaminga. And I'm like, you know what? I'll take Kaminga and Chris Paul, he knows Monty Williams. Uh, system. I don't know how the relationship is. Maybe he just gets bought out and moved on or, or whatever, but maybe a draft pick and Kaminga. And like, I, I honestly don't mind that depending on how the other players are working on the roster.
0: Man, that's still a lot of guards though. Cause then you're sending out Burks and Bojan, but you still have Sasser. You still have Ivy. You still have Cade. And then it like basically means you have to play a three guard lineup. Right.
1: Well, and I mean, you wouldn't want to hear this, but if that was the trade, I think instead of Burks, it would actually be Monte Morris, unless Chris Paul is just getting bought out completely and never seeing any court time. But again, getting someone for 30 million and then just buying them out, I, I don't really see that happening. So, but yeah, I mean, when you start looking at trade scenarios, like the window has closed unless there's a Lillard or Harden trade that kind of creates a window for something to happen
0: yeah that one's so hard i mean there have been so many people on twitter myself included who've tried to think of like four or five team trades and at this point it just seems like it's whittling down to just portland and miami figuring it out right um who knows and then harden like harden's trade value is probably shot i'm sure there's like half the teams in the league that are like no, thank you. And the Clippers might be one of them. I'm like, we're not trading the this fool who's already asked out of two spots, and like we have to give up all this stuff for him. Like, it's, it's not going to happen. Yeah, I think trading both of them, if they do end up trading both Boyan and Burks, it's probably in separate deals because it's just hard to find a team that has thirty million, unless. Unless you're saying, hey, <laughs> Andy's shaking. he head. what are you shaking your head for? Andy, let him know. Let him know.
1: Are you going down the Ben Simmons road? Is I that- am
0: going down the Ben Simmons road. Yeah, I know it sucks. But if they were just like, you know what, we're going to eat a salary for one year because it's only going to be one year left. Um, it's still kind of going with the, the third segment where we talk about cap space but you got to give us like two first round picks or you got to give us like three first round picks. This is one of those ones that if everything goes wrong with Ben Simmons, which it seems like it's going, like why not, why not? If you're not going to use your cap space, if you already invested in these young guys, just be like, okay, we'll take him, just eat his salary for a while, like a season or two, and then give us some draft picks. They have a bunch to spare. They have all those Phoenix ones. Uh, I know they have uh, somebody else's there along there. And again, it's just like, okay, I'm taking on the money and getting a bunch of draft assets, which they need again, because they are, are gonna owe a pick somewhere down the line. And if you wanna fill out your rotation without having to you know, waste all this money in free agency, if you don't wanna turn in the Houston Rockets, paying Fred VanVleet like 40 million, 44, whatever it is, paying Dylan Brooks all that money, if you don't want to do that then this is one of those ways to do it to be like a memphis grizzlies who so that's what they've done is they just fill out the rest of the roster with these extra first round picks second round picks like that's not a bad idea again it all depends on ben simmons like going terrible and they're just like we're going to eat his salary i was advocating for it too if like he could work out in the front court but then i read a thing of like oh he's ready to be the starting point guard and i'm like man Nobody's down with that. Nobody's down with that. If he could just get it in his head that I'm going to be a fantastic power forward or center, who's like one of the best defenders in the NBA, I think it would just do wonders for him. But yeah, this whole idea of being a point guard, I think at this point, you're just like, okay, if you don't like him and really want him out of there, we'll take him in his salary and then just tell him to go somewhere else while we pay out the rest of his deal and you give us a bunch of picks. Again, if, if it's like the 30 million, you're 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 dealing both Boyan and Burks and you're just eating a salary, I, that's the only one to me that makes sense because I don't think Pistons are gonna go all in and trade a bunch of picks for a big free agent or a big um, star that all of a sudden becomes available. It's also weird that like the Pistons haven't even won 20 games consistently and then they would trade for somebody and the star would be like, yeah, I'm ready to be here. It just seems if they did package Boyan and Burks together around 30 million it's probably to eat a salary and it's probably to get a bunch of picks in the future.
1: Yeah, from from what I've heard from, you know, like Nets podcasts and stuff, it seems like the team has decided they're not willing to attach a lot of picks to Simmons. They're basically saying let's see what we have in him this year and then next year he's an expiring and but we're not going to add a bunch of picks to move him and if you if you're only getting like one pick to take him on and then have that much money gone next year like for me that's just too much to to have you're not getting enough for how much money you're you're losing but Weaver doesn't usually get too much for his cap space so maybe maybe he'll take it
0: so yeah i think it depends on how you're using your cap space coming up because they are going to have big cap space no matter what they do and if it was this, like, you know what? We really don't want to spend on this big name free agent, but we still have to cover that, that space. And we get like one first round pick. It wouldn't be ideal for me. I think the ideal for me would be at least two first rounders. And maybe they, they convey those first rounders like way on down the line, but it would be something to think about. If again, that was your, your point. It's like, okay, we just want to move both of them. We want to get some extra picks in the process. That's probably the only deal right now that would make sense. The one that I've thought about a lot, uh, unless you want to say something before we move on to the next deal, the one I've thought about a lot. Oh, go ahead.
1: The only thing I was going to say is it that deal taking on Simmons does make sense if you look at Sasser and Harris being shooting replacements for Burks and Boyan, then I get it. Like to me, it makes sense. And right now, it doesn't make sense having so many redundant players who can't see the court. So from that aspect, it does make sense that it makes them more movable. So I wouldn't be like, I wouldn't be angry with it.
0: Yeah. And if you hate it, I I totally understand why, if you want to call me an idiot for thinking about it, whatever. My whole thing was just to get extra picks and who cares about Ben Simmons. He's going to be gone. If you're trading for him to dump it like that, anyway, you might as well work the situation as you can. The one trade I have thought about a lot, if it's just Bullion or Burks, is with Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City right now has 21 guys on their roster. They are going to have to cut people. 15 is the most you can carry on your roster. They have three dudes that if they wanted to, they could just outright cut and like have other people pick them up off the waiver wire. In uh, Davis Bertans, Victor Oladipo, and who was the other one? It was another... Uh, veteran, why am I all of a sudden forgetting this? But those are the two, for sure, for sure, Oladipo and Davis Bertans, like. they can just cut right now if they wanted to. But that's still down to 19 guys and you still have four to go. They are starting to get into the area where all those draft picks they have, you know, people said, oh, sometime down the road, they're not going to be able to roster everybody. They're either going to have to trade a bunch of them or they're going to have to um you know trade a bunch of draft picks down the line well guess what that, that time is now because again even if you just cut it down to bertans and you cut it down to Ola Depot, they still have sga definitely not going to trade they have lou dort they have uh vasily micic who's a fantastic european player they just brought over so it would be weird if they might <laughs> just cut him or trade him he's a very good shooter very good uh, ball handler could be six man off the bench could be like a good scoring punch that's uh, two or the three, if you really wanted to do that. They have Chet Holmgren. They're obviously gonna play him, not trade him. Then they have Josh Kiddie, Keenrick Williams, Casein Wallace, Apoku, Usman Deng, J-Dub, Trey Mann, Usman Garuba, Tai Tai, uh, Jay will Isaiah Joe, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Aaron Wiggins, Jack Wright, and Keontae Johnson. Like, And I think Jack White and Keontae Johnson are their two-way guys. Um, Or no, Candace Johnson was drafted in the second round. So say they just cut, again, Bertons, say they just cut Oladipo and they're down to 19 guys. Maybe, maybe, maybe they cut Keenrick Williams because they're like, we just want to embrace the the young guys. I don't think that would happen because that's somebody that they've been invested in. He's a good rotation player for them. And again, that gets them down to 18 guys. They're still three guys short. I think they're a good situation to look at to be like, hey, we'll eat Bertons. We'll give you like Boyan or Burks here. Um, send backs. Berton's is like 16 million. I mean, if they really wanted to get off money, they could also be like, hey, we'll uh, take Keener Williams, who I believe is like 8 million or something around there, um, and then take whatever other reclamation guys you want here. Like, To me, it would be Poku because I really like what Poku has shown as both a shooter and as a shot blocker. And he's a guy in the front court that Pistons could use even as a backup who is a consistent shooter already. He shot 40%. Dealing with injury last year, still coming on as a shot blocker. He's a different change of pace from what we have already. Bagley can't shoot. Wiseman can't shoot. I really haven't been good shot blockers and Poku is also a good give and go guy very good in transition so he brings something different to the table to where you could play him at the four at the five as well but i mean you can convince me of anybody else i don't think they would deal case and wallace because they just traded for him and drafted him here j-dub they're obviously not going to trade but then after that you have usman dang you have trey Mann, usman garuba Ty tai washington j will isaiah joe jeremiah robinson Earl, aaron wiggins like again take your pick these are all developmental guys these are all guys that have shown good potential and why not work that situation for the Pistons who I believe are at 14 guys on the roster right they haven't quite reached 15. so theoretically you could trade out a couple guys or you could even trade for like three or four so that um it gives OKC the 15 that they need and then you can just cut like Depot, or you could just cut um Bertans even if you wanted to that one might be a little bit more difficult because he has 16 million this year and 16 million the next year, I believe. So it's like 32 million that you're going to have to eat um, in some way, shape, or form. But I mean, you could you could do it just to help them out. And again, Troy Weaver's from Oklahoma City. That was a development system that he came up. Why not work that that um, relationship? as i floated this idea for um motor city hoops bryce simon and, and motor city hoops podcast with amari sankova they talked about it a little bit there so shout out to bryce thanks for talking about my trade scenario his major pushback was like why wouldn't you just wait for okc to cut these guys but again why i lay that out is like okay say you just cut burton say you just cut um holy depot say you still even cut Keener Williams you still have these three extra young guys and all those guys i just listed there you don't want to cut them because you just seriously drafted them like a season or two ago even somebody at the end or the bottom of the rotation in aaron wiggins he's shown like hey maybe i can be a good rotation piece it just seems like they have to trade these guys and it would be a terrible idea to be like okay we're just going to cut three of them when we haven't figured out who they are and they could just walk into another building and be picked up by somebody and we don't get anything for it
1: So I have I agree with you. I have looked at OKC, but I have no idea like what OKC is doing because they can go in so many different directions. Um, And Bertans is owed money next year, but I believe if as long as he doesn't play like X number of games, then. It's like only a fraction of it is guaranteed. And you no, can I'll cut look it up here real quick. Yeah, so it's. I, I think as long as he, he doesn't hit a certain number of games played, you can basically release him next year. So he's like an expiring, unless you give him too much playing time. Um, but I do believe they like having Berton's contract as a trade chip so that during the season, if they decide to go and find a free uh, a player they want to trade for his 17 million helps them match money wise where they don't have to give up any of the players that they actually believe in for the future but i could see them doing a trade with let's say you know Bertans and Williams uh, Kendrick Williams for Boyan because Boyan's 20 million is still that salary to trade And if he's not a good fit, they can just move him. And he has value at the trade deadline. It's not like they would get robbed, but it does free up some of the roster crunch. So I don't know, you know, if it's something they're into doing, but I I have looked at them because I wouldn't mind um, Williams. I wouldn't even mind James Robinson Earl. Like there's just a few guys that I wouldn't mind on even Poku. If we have a big who can stretch the floor because for Ivy and Cade, that would be amazing. Being able to play some five out, which unless we're going to do it with Stu and they're actually going to guard Stu, like we can't really do that right now. So, yeah, I I, would, I could see things with OKC.
0: Yeah, I could help Stu out a lot, too, in terms of like having another big there that does that already. So it takes a little bit of pressure off of him. For, so for the Davis Bertans contract, I'm on SPO track right now. It says 2024-2025 is an early termination option, so it means the team could let him go early. Uh, 5 million guaranteed. It's fully guaranteed if he plays 75% of the regular games in the 2023-2024 season again the Boyan contract it's a bigger number so if they are looking to trade for a star that probably helps them out more it helps them to match and especially again with the new cba where if you're trading for a team that's already over the apron or whatever you can only trade matching salary so that that is another thing to consider there and then again Boyan's deal is like if you're just going to end up cutting this guy then Bojan's deal works better because again, 2 million less than 5 million. It works for whatever team that wants him there. And as a player, Bojan is like way up here and Bertans is down there. I mean, Bojan showed he could be a number 2 scorer still. He showed he's still one of the best shooters in the NBA. Whereas Bertans is just... Ever since he got that big contract, just showing like he's not worth the money. He's still a bench player at, at best. And that's the only one I can really see right now, barring like injury and stuff that I think works. And even if OKC wanted to keep a player that works without getting in the way of their young guys, Boyan's one of those dudes. He can stretch the floor out for SGA, for Chet, for um, Josh Giddy, for J. Dub. Like all those guys, shooting is not their number one thing. And even for Chet, like Chet could theoretically shoot. That's one of the things that a lot of people buy into, but it just gives him a four man that can take pressure off of him. And Chet's already a phenomenal, like instinctual shot blocker at the five that's going to cover up for an athletically limited four, like a Boyan. you can play those two together. And they have defensive, the defensive foundation with a Lou Dort with a J Dub that they can cover up for Boyan's defensive limitations, and he can still work. I think that is the part of it that really, like, I, when I think about it more and more, I'm like, Boyan could be like fifth starter to like seventh man and get them over the hump to where they're like, okay, this is now a legitimate playoff team and they're able to ship out some of the young guys that they just can't give minutes to I think they're a fascinating case Oklahoma City now moving forward of like okay you have all these draft picks what are you going to do with them theoretically they're going to do what they've done in the past where they trade for a star but if like nobody wants to come there because right now you would think they could get in the Damian Lillard sweepstakes very easily with so many of those picks that they have with all the salary they have again I just listed all those young guys that they don't have minutes for even if they wanted to they could trade somebody like josh giddy i mean it really would just be like chet or uh, sga that would be off limits everybody else on that that team could be moved and then portland can have this roster full of interesting young guys they could have all those picks but again it seems like until there's a player that's like yeah i want to be in oklahoma city they're just going to sit on these things
1: Yeah, I, I agree with what you you said about OKC having the defense and the wing players to cover up Boyan. And I saw something about how SGA played with some of the worst spacing imaginable and still put up those numbers. So if you could give him a floor spacer in Boyan, that would be so. I, and I agree, like for them, if they want to take the next step, he's a perfect player for them. And what you said about all those draft picks, they have so many draft picks coming up that this situation isn't just a, this start of the season problem because they're going to lose some more of these guys and they don't have room for the players coming in. And if that big trade doesn't come along, it's like you start putting yourself in a situation where other teams just know, like how many teams are just waiting to see like, well, we're not going to sign our 15th player. Cause they got to cut three and, Whoever they cut is better than who we're going to sign. So we'll just wait. And I think the Pistons are first on the the waiver wire. So it's like, Yeah. yeah, we can, we can wait. So yeah, no, I, but I, I do think they're a very interesting case. And I think, I think a trade between the two teams would be beneficial, but we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's, I think it got there earlier than people thought, too. I think this is like two or three seasons down the line where they were like, oh, now KC okay, is so going to have an issue. But you're right. It's a right here, right now problem. And I think if that does end up happening to where like everybody's just like, they were just going to wait it out and then they end up cutting three, like three or four guys and they cut three or four young guys, that probably makes them a little bit more like, we got to start to consolidate this stuff. And if anybody out there is like, well, is this the time for them to take the next step? Yeah, it's the time for them to take the next step. right? They made the plan. Right? Like You're not playing for lottery position now. You got Chet back. You want to see how much better you can get there. It just doesn't make sense for them to either take a step back. And if they wanted to get into superstar sweepstakes right now, they should have done it already. But again, I don't think anybody wants to play there quite yet. It might take another like taking the jump. That's the other part of taking the jump for them is if they could get like a Bojan or if they could get some like middle tier trade guy that really fits their roster and helps them win even more like five... To eight more games, then other players are going to look at it and be like, "Oh yeah, I know Boyan went there and it made them a little better. I'm a lot better than Boyan is, so now I'm going to come in uh, or want to come in there and do that thing. I think it just makes too much sense. Maybe it's not Boyan, maybe it's somebody else, and maybe they can get somebody else better than that, like a Tobias Harris or something like that. But they have to. I think right now they have to be able to think about that of like, we need somebody here." It And helps to you know accentuate the positives and remove some of the the negatives for the young guys here and we got to start looking like a better squad because we we have to trade all these picks for a superstar that's the next move
1: yeah i just i don't see any reason like you said for them to go slow like they have some young talent they've got a lot of picks coming in they were close to being a play-in team last season until the very end so it's like yeah no they need and I think Orlando is a team that I would put in a similar category that a Boyan would actually make sense for them they need a floor spacer they need a vet they're trying to make the play-in they want to make that next step um so yeah and <laughs> we we're just trying so hard to ship Boyan somewhere
0: Well, again, it doesn't make any sense. Like he's going to be gone pretty soon, no matter what. So why not get something of value for him and just you know not let him sit here? I think Burks, even if Burks resign, that makes more sense because he's not going to be making big money. He's not a starter. He's somebody off the bench. You already have seen his role here and how well he works either at the two or the three. Like he's going to be happy doing that, Boyan. Like you've you've pointed out so many times how many minutes he's played, how he's really never come off the bench and stuff like that. And again, where he is in his career, he should be wanting to be uh, with a contender, helping them out, like the LeBrons, the KDs of the world. They're like, we need this guy just to shoot and to take pressure off of us. I know the Bucks were interested in him. I don't know that they run the same stuff that Budenholzer does, but you know, Boyan would have been the absolute perfect guy for them because they need another just flat out floor spacer that doesn't take the ball away from Giannis and Middleton, you know, and can be flanked on the other side with Mr. Splash Mountain, Brooke Lopez. So Bojan again, Bojan's just got to go. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't seem to be the ideal fit for the Pistons moving forward.
1: And I know like whenever I talk about Joe Harris being a replacement for Boyan, I get all this pushback. And just to clarify, Boyan is much better than Joe Harris offensively. Joe Harris is just catch and shoot. Boyan can do all kinds of other things, which is great. The problem is, I would rather see like Asar Thompson get those opportunities yeah. to grow and develop, and I would rather have Joe Harris just catching and shooting, so that those opportunities are available for the young guys instead of Boyan doing it. Because Boyan doing it doesn't help development wise. The team move forward. Like who cares? Instead of winning thirty games, we win thirty five, but it's, it's because Boyan
0: was outstanding.
1: He's not going to be here in two years. Like that doesn't make a difference.
0: Yeah, great point there. He's not going to be here in two years. what difference does it make if he does that? And then he's just gone or he regresses. Again, he's 34 years old. You never know when father time is going to catch up to us all because it inevitably does. Um, But again, Bojan, we don't dislike you. We just want you to succeed somewhere else and help the Pistons out in their growth through a trade. other thing to help with Growth for the Pistons is cap space. This is super, super early. But Keith Smith earlier uh, this week, or the, on the 10th of August, so I guess it was today, 10th of August, he tweeted out, um, my first pass at 2024 cap space productions is complete. And the Pistons come in at fifth for cap space in the 2024 off season with 38.7 million right now. Again, that could change because they could trade away again. Boyan's part of that. If it's 19 million come off the books, then there's a lot more money there uh, other than just that 38.7 million. I've said it quite a bit here. I've said it quite a bit on the Woodward Pistons podcast. It just makes sense to me that 2024 is the year where they have to make some kind of splash in free agency. We talked about the Ben Simmons thing here of like, oh, they're using up cap space. But again, to me, that if they did something like that, then it means that the main core that you drafted out, Cade, Ivy, B. Stu, Duran, Asar, they're all looking fantastic. And you're like, okay, we don't need anybody else to get in the way. And that's our projected starting five. We just want to get some picks and then maybe like fill it out with dudes off the bench. That makes sense. Other than that, though, like it just makes sense to me, right? I don't know. I mean, you and I went back and forth on this before we started in our prep time. What are your thoughts on the Pistons using cap space? Because they're going to have cap space no matter what they do in 2024 offseason.
1: Well, I think that the value of cap space has gone down because you can look at whatever list of free agents are available now. And throughout the season and the off season, what actually makes it to free agency is most people, most good players sign an extension and then demand a trade. They don't actually hit free agency. So the cap space isn't as useful. And then if you have too many teams with cap space, it's like supply and demand. Like other people are able to dump their contracts on another team saying, we'll take less to to get your bad contract. So I'm not a I mean, obviously, the flexibility is important, but I don't see I don't see the cap space being super helpful unless you're a team that players want to go to. And, like I think you mentioned earlier, we haven't won 30 games in God knows how long. So, it's not necessarily a a destination place that people want to go to. But I could see like a Tobias Harris, like that would be a good player in terms of a, a free agent. But in terms of cap space, I'm not. And I, I hate to sound like I don't care about it, but it's like, I have no clue what this team is going to look like, who's going to be playing and what the actual needs are. Like, I think the first 20 games will give us a good idea as to, oh, OK, I think this team looks like this. And then by mid-season, we should have a, an idea on what we're working with and what we really need. And hopefully who should be traded just to clear up cap space or for draft picks or for whatever. But right now it's such a mystery because I don't think anybody even knows who's starting. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, the cap space is tough.
0: I know we also as piston fans have been somewhat traumatized when it's like hey we have cap space thanks to sorry joe d sorry but you you have not helped us there and then with stan Van bowers as well the john lure boban and uh you know who else did brandon's brandon uh was that was that joe no that was joe d uh, who was the other one that that stan van ended up giving big money to the lure and the Boban ones were terrible, especially Bobon. because he, he never played him. That was like the one of the dumbest contracts I've ever seen. Is he paid him big backup money, and then he was like, "Nope, I'm not going to play Boban." And then the minute Boban left, he ended up being like a good backup everywhere he went, and they actually played him. So I don't know what that was.
1: Yeah. So for me, and I know it's a cop out answer, but the cap space is just like wait and see. Like, what do we actually? Need Because, I mean, let's say, and this is really a stretch in my opinion, but let's say Stu's shooting like 38% from three. Like, all of a sudden, things look very different as far as what type of options we have and what we can run. And let's go the other way. Let's say he is only shooting 32%. And we end up having to move Boyan to the four, and then maybe we start Asar. Like so many things are dependent on how these guys actually play. I have no clue <laughs> what they would do a year from now.
0: So I have a thought and that thought is Paul Millsap. I think I've talked about this here before. I know I've talked about it on Woodward Pistons. If you look at the Denver Nuggets rebuild, the world champion Denver Nuggets, Rebuild when they, you know, started from 30 wins and then, you know, got Nikola Jokic and turned it around... Maybe the major turning point to them and them being a good team was when they signed Paul Millsap. And that was in between years three and four, I believe Paul Millsap didn't put up like a ton of points, but he solidified that team, especially on defense. That's really where their defense ended up becoming better. And they were able to figure out who they are. They're out how to use Jokic and stuff because Paul Millsap knows how to play the power forward, line up everybody, be an excellent communicator, doesn't stick out in the stat sheet. But when you watch film, you're like, Oh, yeah, that guy is really doing a lot of the little things. Was a floor spacer for them as well. I think that's the next move for the Pistons. If they're smart, Is they're like, okay, now we need to find our Paul Paul Millsap. Because again, you have Cade. You're not looking to add like number two or number three even. If they were looking to do that, that means... Jaden Ivey, unfortunately, had a disastrous season and it's much to where they're like knocked in their confidence of like, we're not sure what this guy can be. I think that's the only way they really look for that type of player. I think Paul Millsap type is what they're going to be looking at in this offseason. And people forget too, Paul Millsap was in his 11th season when he joined the Denver Nuggets. He was 32 years old there, but he still played for Denver for, I believe, like three or four more years. I can give you, yeah, he played there for four more years and was productive in all those years still a major part of the rotation played like at least 24 minutes every single year he was there in those four years it really wasn't until the last year where you saw him kind of fall off but then that also showed them like we need this defensive four that was part of the reason why they traded for Aaron Gordon Aaron Gordon does everything Paul Millsap did only much much better he can guard threes he's super athletic Again, he can space the floor out. The shooting percentages, everybody's always looked at them, but people guard him. They know, like, you have to guard Aaron Gordon, and he provides space. But all that defensive versatility, Paul Millsap was the difference of, like, saying, okay, this is when we put this guy next to Jokic. When we have this guy in between him and Murray, everything falls into place. Let's get the upgraded version of him and Aaron Gordon. I think the Paul Millsaps exist in next offseason, and if I had to bet, this is not me saying that I think either Masar Thompson is going to be bad or that Beastie is not going to shoot well, but those are the two that have the most question marks. And especially with assar like offensively he is going to take a while to work especially if Kate and ivy are your number one and number two options you need floor spacers next to them i think the forward spot is probably where the big money signing comes next off season if i had to bet money it's probably more towards the three again it's not to say i don't believe in assar i just think assar is going to take a little bit more time And if they want somebody who's like a Paul Millsap to fill in holes and stuff, I think they kind of already have that in beef stew. And what they would need more is the wing defender. Because again, if you're not able to defend the top wings, especially in the playoffs, which is where the Pistons should be looking at moving forward, you really have no chance. Ivy can't do that. He's too small. You don't want K to be doing that because again, he's the number one option. Beef stew is okay at defending um, you know, the, the top guys in the league. But again, you don't want him to be doing that. You want him to be able to be the switch guy at the four. And then hopefully Duran continues to get better at, at protecting the paint there. I still think that the three, like a really good defender that still stretches the floor out, is there. I've been saying it a lot, Jaden McDaniels is like a max guy to me. You just look at all the defensive numbers, maybe Minnesota matches. But man, with how they paid Nas Reid, with how they paid Kat, with how they've paid Rudy Gobert, I mean, they just signed Ant to that extension, too. Being a small market team, you can't be paying four guys that much luxury tax. And if they're still like barely a play-in team, then you're going to be one of the teams with the highest luxury tax. And that's still the, the direction I go. And even if you want to think of other like wing forward type players who are going to stretch the floor out and play good defense. Trey Murphy is another one. I don't know what kind of contract New Orleans is going to give him. They're a little bit less of a like, eh, I don't know what the money, but you can still put pressure on them give him a big offer. I mean if you wanted to max him i wouldn't be against it if you're saying that's too much for a role player i understand but the pistons are in a financial situation to where i think they could like do a three-year max and be fine and then work it out later on with somebody like trey murphy who's a really good athlete six nine shoots the ball like nobody's business at that size at the three or at the two like humongous mismatch and even if you had just a six-man rotation of like ivy cade trey murphy beef stew, Jalen Duran. then you can just switch Ivy and Asara. You can switch Ivy and Trey. You can switch Trey and Asar to where you have a lot of cool lineups and just a six-man unit that everybody's going to be like, well, we don't want to play the Pistons because of these different looks that they can give the Trey Murphy unlocks that a McDaniels unlocks. Another guy is like 6'9". He's like 185, but Jaden McDaniels defense is just on a whole nother level in terms of man-to-man wing defense. I've heard, too, I saw a tweet that said McDaniels has grown to eleven. I don't like these off-season tweets where like, hey, such and such has grown. But this is from a uh, verified Twitter account. I can go look it up. If you're somebody that can look eye to eye with Kevin Durant and be the level of defender to frustrate Kevin Durant, I'm going to pay you max money. So jd mcdaniels is is number one and the other one to think about is like josh green who's on the mavericks right now much much further down the line but has continued to show that he's a really good defender super super efficient does not waste shots he's more on the come up but he's more of a projection at this point i mean he's also one of my arizona guys so i have biases obviously there But in the time that Dallas has given him, he's only gotten better as a defender and as a supplementary three-point shooter. I think these are the types are looking towards the restricted free agency is going to be interesting because nobody seemed to be like they're willing to get in the restricted free agency game anymore. Um, And again, thinking of Paul Millsap, my last point with thinking about 2024 free agents, you brought up Tobias Harris. I don't think he's necessarily the Paul Millsap like stabilized your defense, but if they did want to pay somebody who's like, okay, Beef Stew's not shooting quite as well, Asar's not there yet. Again, Tobias makes perfect sense because he is a stable offensive force there. Another guy is Pascal Siakam. I know he's on the trade block. I know there are probably some groans out there because there are people for whatever reason who don't like Pascal Siakam, but again. Think of Paul Millsap, Pascal Siakam. You don't want him to be number one. You don't want him to be number two. But if he comes in here and he's Paul Millsap, he works out fantastic. He's not getting in the way of Cade. He's not getting in the way of Ivy. He's stabilizing the defense. He's still a very good defender who can defend the three all the way through the five. Great communicator and does all these supplementary things. I believe he'll be 30, 31. I believe it'll be 31 next year. So age is a little bit of a thing. But again, Paul Millsap came in at 32, played four more years and helped the Nuggets take that next step. Maybe it's one of those things where they have to upgrade him later and they get their version of the Aaron Gordon down the line. But I think that's the idea. And whoever they pay next... They have to overpay like Paul Millsap. Paul Millsap made 30 million per season there in Denver, which was a huge amount of money. And so many people criticized them, but go again, go and look back at that, that move. That was the move that made the Nuggets go from like, yeah, they're kind of scrappy to like, Oh, these guys are actually pretty good. And this roster makes a whole lot of sense.
1: So, when you mentioned Minnesota, I cringed a little bit because I would love McDaniels, but I feel like we would be the team that ended up getting Cat, which I do not want at all. Um, but uh, I I agree. And I think both of us looked at like this offseason, like Harrison Barnes as a free agent who would have been similar to doing that same role as Paul Millsap. Um, and really, I, to keep it simple, I just think we want someone who can space the floor, but is a better defender than Bojan. That's really, and it's not like our, our demands aren't that high. It's just his defense is so bad. And if Ivy doesn't improve, it just makes it hard to have both of them on the court at the same time. And then Expect a second-year Jalen Duran to erase those mistakes, which it's not. It's, it's just asking a lot. But I really believe that I think by the end of the season, Asar is going to answer a lot of our wing questions, and I do think we have to be patient because I think he is going to take time, especially with the shooting. But just how smart he was on the court. I think by the end of the season, and hopefully I think it'll happen sooner. Like I think we'll be the ones complaining that he's not getting enough minutes and how many minutes Boyan is getting because I just think he'll lead to winning. And I think when we look at like, and I know plus minus isn't the best stats, but I think we'll see that. The team actually does better with him on the floor than players who don't defend because Kate and Ivy should be our, our offensive engines and we need to surround them with defense and the shooting is important, but this team needs defense.
0: Yeah. Again, which circles back to my point of like they need the Paul Millsap next you can't be asking a second year player to be the one lining up your defense maybe beef stew at that point becomes such a great communicator they're able to do it but again they're still missing the point of attack defender they're still missing the wing defender and then depending on where jalen duran's defense is at who knows what the rim protection is going to be like? I really do not think that they're just going to give up on Jalen Duran because another big free agent next year is Nick Claxton, who I'm a big fan of. And I would really love for Duran to just emulate his game, who's super efficient, who blocks a tons tons of shot because he doesn't play outside of himself. Um, but it, I really just cannot see a world in which even if Duran struggles this year, they're like, nope, we're not going to invest in you. We're just going to go out and sign Nick Claxton. Um, but again, they need somebody who is going to solidify and is more of the veteran presence like the Paul Millsap, who's seen everything, who knows what to do, who's been on successful defensive teams because everybody's still going to be young. I think, let me think about it, Ivy or Beef Stew are going to be the oldest dudes out of that core there at like 23, 24 by that point. They just have not seen high level NBA defense and they're not going to know NBA defense in the playoffs either. They still need that at least one dude. That's why I advocated to for the, the Brook Lopez overpay for one year because they needed somebody like that. that that's who the next guy in line is. And Siakam probably the best idea there next season um, in terms of like somebody they could give an overpay to and that would help them. And have a veteran presence of like, oh, this is what I've seen before in the NBA offseason. I just think that that's the next step. And what do they do with that cap space? That's going to be the question that you and I are going to ask. And so many Pistons fans are going to ask because they're going to have cap space until they make like the Ben Simmons or just eating this cap space. Or if they randomly are able to trade for a superstar along the way, which is probably the least likely scenario. That's just going to be the question. What are they going to do with this cap space?
1: yeah and i I hope I just hope this season we're able to put a roster together that makes sense. And uh, otherwise, I think Weaver's gotta go. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it comes down to.
0: yeah, we've been critical of Troy Weaver, but it, it bears repeating. How many GMs have four seasons where they win? under 30 games every year, and then they get to the fifth season. And then after that, too, think of that, if that GM makes, you know, even if they make the 32-win jump, and then into that fifth season, if they don't make the plan, I just, that, that would be something to look into in the future and maybe something we can talk about next time. It's like, okay, now that we've seen how many GMs, do this in the past like if the pistons don't make the 30 wins how likely is it weaver gets there and the other thing we need to think about in the future is SAR. we've said it a couple of times this podcast be patient with him and even if they brought in somebody like a mcdaniels or like a trey murphy who theoretically will be in a SAR spot i don't think that means they give up on him i just think they know like okay at this point here like he's a liability as a shooter and nobody's going to guard him. Somebody to think about is like Marcus Smart. The Celtics never gave up on Marcus Smart, but they just moved him around like in the lineup, out of the lineup. They try him in point guard. He was terrible at it. So he was mainly like shooting guard, small forward, and then he got better at it. And then they put him in there. I think that's the kind of player. And again, I've said Andre Iguodala all along, but I also think... In the modern nba if andre iguodala came in with his shooting concerns and even when you watched him in philadelphia that's what put a ceiling on iguodala nobody called him a bad player but it was clear like mm, if he's like the first or second option on there like he just doesn't do enough to where you really have to cover him all the time and he can affect three levels because that that's the thing too if you're not a three-level scorer it's really hard to be a top guy and it's really hard especially the further you go into the playoffs People are just going to stop guarding you. If you can't hit open shots, then that's just going to sink you. I mean, even with Jalen Brown, somebody who deserves that contract, he's the best, one of the best examples of this, like the lack of left hand when he goes cold, like forget it. As being the number two, if he goes cold, Celtics have no chance.
1: Yeah. And I I don't want to get too caught up in – Like, yes, the Pistons have to design like a championship roster, championship team. But it's like having guys who have holes in the playoffs aren't a problem when you haven't won more than 30 games. Like they need to take that next big jump, just winning regular season games. And that's one of the reasons why I don't understand all the knocks on Joe Harris. Yes. In the playoffs, he gets played off the court. In the regular season, man, that is, it's not a big deal. It's not, it's not the same game as far as regular season basketball versus the playoffs, just trying to, to get some, some wins. But uh, the other thing is, and everybody loves lottery picks and the young guys because of the potential, but it takes time for these guys to learn how to play, to be winning players. Like it's not a, a knock it's not even a knock on Jaden Ivy to be like, you know what? We're probably going to have a better lineup with Alec Burks playing alongside Cade than him because Burks is just a veteran who knows how to play the game. He's not going to make the mistakes. He's going to knock down the open shots. He's going to play the right way, but we can't play him too much because we want to develop Ivy. Like you have to have that balance in it, but it's not a knock on these young guys when we're like, yeah, veteran will lead to winning, but that's just the reality of the league and this team is young.
0: Yeah, as we say again and again, patience, just preach patience. That's probably going to be the theme of our next one, looking at at Weaver and if he can make it past year four and also looking at Asar. That's one thing that I definitely will look into now that I have more time, is looking at the guys that came out of high school, like a Kobe Bryant, like a T-Mac, like a J.R. Smith. I've looked at their stats um, like just in passing, because when I was thinking of what kind of impact star is going to have there, none of them are really that great. I believe J.R. Smith was the best at like 10.3 points per game, but his shooting splits are just absolutely atrocious. And I kind of think a star is going to be in that same mold. So we'll talk about that for next time as well. It's like, look at these guys who are greats. But it was rough. It's it's a tough transition coming from high school and coming from an overtime elite program where, you know, the level of competition is a jump. It's not to say that the players' struggles means they suck. It just means it's going to take a year. It's going to take a while. Nobody just gave up on Kobe after that first year. Nobody gave up on Mac. Nobody gave up on JR, even though I'm sure some people wanted to give up on JR because that that was part of the process. You draft these players knowing like, hey, they're going to struggle. It's a big jump, but you know what? They're going to figure it out. Just like I think Asar will figure it out, even if it takes like three or four years.
1: Yeah, from that podcast earlier today with uh, Sam Vecini, same thing. I think uh, he mentioned Devin Booker as far as, the number of seasons for his three-point shooting and his game to develop. And, you know, he stayed through a lot of bad years when he didn't have help. But it, over those years, his game developed. He gets experience. He learns a lot. And then when you surround him with more talent, like he's able to do, able to win a lot of games, you know, but it, it just takes time
0: absolutely so we will be back with preaching patience but yeah thank you so much for listening to us this time talking about the pistons and can't wait to see kate again dominate ready to dominate the league again you heard it here first kate will be top 10 in assists during the 2023-2024 season as long as he plays a full healthy season and you let everybody know where they can find you one more time
1: all right, guys, you can find me on Twitter at D underscore D underscore Pistons underscore fan. We're almost there, guys. We're almost there. We're going to get through August and eventually we'll get to training camp. We'll get to some preseason ball. Just be patient.
0: I know you're in Detroit. I'm a Niner fan. So, I mean, my experience is different than y'all. But tell tell us about your, your Lions, Andy. How excited are you for this Lions season? Training camp's going on. I've been watching clips from... All my Detroit buddies. Um,
1: I gotta be honest with you. I haven't paid attention to the Lions at all. None. I actually.
0: Come on, um, man. They're gonna be good. They. They have. Man. They got a lot of. T- I'm excited for them too. I wish I was still in the city to go catch some games. So, mm-hmm. I like Jamo. I mean, I. I like so many dudes on that team. I Obviously, Aiden. You know, Go Blue. Mom, say well. Their offensive tackle. Oh man. He's he's one of my favorites. Yeah,
1: my my wife and I, we went to a a Tigers game like two days ago, and I don't know anybody on the team. Like, I haven't been following them at all, and uh, (laughs) I I have no shame in saying it. Like, right now, I'm like, no, that's okay.
0: Well, you need to educate yourself, Andy. Because the draft Gibbs, who I was immediately like, "Why did I draft a running back first? But he's looking good. Um, I like their their linebacker, the the guy out of Iowa. Those Iowa guys are just tough. I mean, I think they're going to have a really good season, like ten to twelve wins. Now, the question: the Bears suck anyway. I don't like the Bears. As many Detroiters can, can share with, uh, if you know World of Isaac, I share those same Bear sentiments that he has. You don't know what I mean. Go look up World of Isaac and the Bears. The Packers don't have, you know, stupid Rodgers anymore. See you later. So they're going to suck anyway. Uh, who's the other team in that division? Why am I blanking on it? Chicago? No, we said Chicago. Chicago, Green Bay, Detroit. And who's the other one in that division? Minnesota. Minnesota, yeah, Minnesota. Kirk Cousins, get out of here. So, I mean, they're probably still going to be good, but they're they're going to be the competition there, unless Jordan Love comes in and is just like fantastic right out the gate. I don't see a world in which the the Lions don't come in and at least win ten games. So, shout out to all the Lions fans out there. Being my Niner fan, though, Super Bowl, man, you heard it from the tribal chief Roman Reigns. He even predicted it on the ESPN. So, Super Bowl or bust. Although being Samoan Bay Area, you might be a little biased, just like me. But you know, don't go against the tribal chief.
1: All right, man. I I've been hurt by the Lions many many times. So I it's going to be hard. I'm going to need to see some proof.
0: Yeah, I know everybody, every Lion fan I ever talked to has said that same thing. I've been hurt by them so many times. You hear a lot of, like, great, reminiscing, love-filled, fan-filled stories from the Pistons. Even with the Tigers, like, even though they didn't in the World Series, you hear a lot more of, like, oh, man, I remember Mickey and I remember these runs and stuff for Lander. But then with the Lions, it's always met with a... Big sigh. I can't wait until they get over the hump. Man, maybe, maybe, maybe. It's it's a one and two of my top football player of all time. Jerry Rice, Joe Montana, Barry Sanders. And again, being the diehard Niner fan, that tells you how much I love Barry Sanders. I mean, I could just watch Barry Sanders tape all day, all night. It never gets old. Just what he was able to do is rubber legs and just the... Uh, Speed, everything about him, man, he's the greatest running back of all time to me. And it's pretty amazing that Detroit has the greatest running back of all time. And if there's anybody else that that had a competition with Jerry Rice in terms of being the best receiver, to me, it's not Randy Moss. It's Megatron.
1: Megatron is a good receiver, and I loved Barry Sanders. I was actually at – my aunt took me and my brother to the game. We were at the last – playoff game the Lions won oh man that was a long long time ago
0: yeah I think I was in elementary school when that happened and I'm 39 years old so do the math (laughs) but yeah Yeah,
1: that's what I mean when I say I've been hurt I've been hurt man I so I they, they have to prove it to me
0: yeah, I really wanted those Stafford Megatron ones to, to succeed too. Those are some fun teams, man. So shout out Detroit, shout out Lions, shout out to my Niners. Thank you again for listening to us. We'll catch you next time. We're going to.